Hello again, everyone. This is Dr. Nigro again with our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Thanks to all of our listeners. Thanks for all your comments. Appreciate all of your feedback. Hopefully you found last week's episode on uh, suicide and the police informative. It's definitely a topic that we will come back to uh, both from a law enforcement perspective and also from a mental health perspective. Today I want to focus on behavioral modification. Um, how do how do we change people's behavior? And I'm going to try to focus primarily on children and adolescents, although the techniques really can transcend any any age group. And this has been a really challenging time during the pandemic because um, you know Massachusetts, there's a lot of in-home services that have been put on hold in home behavioral therapy services in uh, therapeutic mentoring a, a variety of services for youths and adolescents so behavioral modification is essentially what it is it's modifying someone's behavior typically the maladaptive behaviors but to do so really requires a structured approach and I am going to refer to the work of Ross Green, uh, who's out of Massachusetts. And he has a technique which is called the basket technique. And you could find it in his book, The Explosive Child. And I, I even though I primarily do psychological and neuropsychological evaluations, I have worked with a number of families on developing and uh, successfully implementing uh, behavioral modifications program based on this model. So prior to the most current version of the diagnostic manual, uh, we really had only a very few disorders for which to diagnose children with behavioral problems. And the go-to was oppositional defiant disorder uh, or conduct disorder, which is the amped up version. And interesting note, uh, the research of Russell Barkley, untreated, undiagnosed ADHD is the precursor to antisocial personality disorder. That'll be a separate topic in and of itself. So, <clears throat> when implementing a model like this, the irony is it really is the work of the parents, the caregivers, the educators to successfully implement this plan as opposed to the child or adolescent. So as I was saying previously, we there's a new diagnosis that's in the manual, which is, was much needed, which is called disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. The outward manifestations of both oppositional defiant disorder and disruptive mood dysregulation disorder are essentially identical. The difference between the two is the etiology. In oppositional defiant disorder, the behavior of the child or adolescent is deliberate and it's purposeful. In the disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, the behavior is essentially stemming from depression, uh, child or adolescent depression. It's it's a mood-driven component. So understanding the etiology, and again, I, I constantly come back to this point, Psychological and neuropsychological testing is really the only way to differentiate and delineate what the diagnostic picture is. Because once you, if you don't have that, you're grasping at straws. So let's take a child who has behavioral problems. Um, stop doing that, Johnny. 
no, no, no. A child starts to hear, no, you're bad, go to your room, time out. Never really got the time out thing, but people use it. Um, it, it can also it can start to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like if everything I do I get in trouble for, why not? I'm just gonna, that's how you think I'm a bad kid. I'm just going to act like a bad kid. So in Ross Green's model, um, his mantra is children can succeed if they can. And you want to be able to set up the most optimal environment. So what I've done with parents and working in this model is take a plain piece of paper and you're going to draw three circles. Basket A, basket B, and basket C. On a separate sheet of paper, we're going to brainstorm every possible behavior that a child, adolescent may be exhibiting from something really severe to something that's not minor, like not picking the clothes up off the floor. Then we're going to take the collective of this brainstorming exercise and parse it out appropriately into one of the three baskets. Now, in basket A, that is where you're going to put the most concerning and problematic behaviors a child or adolescent may be exhibiting. Uh, running away from home, uh, cutting, stealing. It, 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 this is very subjective because it's idiosyncratic to whatever behavioral problems uh, your child or adolescent may be exhibiting. And in basket B, these are going to be additional problematic behaviors. And basket C, or ba yes, basket C is going to be all the rest. Now, in basket A, I usually recommended one to two behaviors at the most that are the most problematic. That every time these behaviors are elicited or demonstrated by the child or adolescent, there is a consequence. Basket C are all of the, sorry, basket B are all of the behaviors that are problematic that a parent, guardian, caregiver will address, but for which there are no consequences. These are educational interventions. Basket C is one of the hardest ones for people to grasp because it's all the things that a child or adolescent does that are annoying, somewhat problematic, that you just let go. So consequences have to have what's called valence. They have to have psychological value in order to create enough discomfort for a child or adolescent to want to modify their behavior. So once this is kind of established, I, you can't just, you can't hold somebody accountable for something until you make them aware of what the repercussions or the consequences are. So you got to figure out all right, what is going to cause my child or adolescent enough discomfort to want to modify their behavior? So if they demonstrate a targeted behavior, it's usually presented in a way of, well, backtrack. So once this uh, basket technique is kind of established and we've put the right things in basket A, B, and C, I always encourage the parent, parents, guardians, caregivers, sometimes educators and the child to be present and even just sign a contract. So you want to eliminate the room for any misunderstanding. Uh, 
having the, the family members and the child or adolescent sign the contract that, you know, because, again, can hold somebody accountable until you make them aware of what they need to be accountable for. The importance in in doing this is, I've said this before in different episodes, you have to take the nebulous and make it concrete. So there's very little margin for misinterpretation or error. So basically, you would say, okay, Johnny, um, if you continue to go on inappropriate websites on your phone, this is what the consequence would be. Now, the here's another important part is this this is also not just about behavioral modification it's also about teaching children adolescents that they do have control and responsibility and accountability for the choices that they make so you know johnny if you go on an inappropriate website again you're going to lose your phone for three days if you don't go on an inappropriate website then you don't lose your phone the choice is up to you. The choice is then put back onto the child or the adolescent, as opposed to if you do this, this is what's going to happen. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. That, that's it, because message sent is not message perceived. It, that comes across that second part is more punitive. Do this or else. And when you have behavioral problems, a child is going to re- typically tend to rebel. Now, let's take the class clown, for example. Okay. Little Johnny is just an absolute pain, right? So you imagine the students and the teacher get together over the weekend, fictitiously, obviously, and they say, you know what? We're no longer going to laugh at Johnny's antics. So Monday comes along, class settles in, and Johnny does his usual routine, and he takes the pencil out of Mary's hand who sits in front of him. Mary doesn't respond. She just pulls out another pencil and keeps listening to the teacher lecture. And Johnny's like, huh? Okay, maybe she just had a bad weekend. I don't know what's wrong with her. Because he's used to her giving him a response. So Johnny then decides to belch really loud. Again, part of his usual repertoire. No one's laughing. Now he's kind of thinking like... Whatever it is, bad weekend? What's what's wrong with these kids? What's wrong with the teacher? Now his behavior starts to escalate. Still within his repertoire. Now he gets up and he goes and he takes William's paper off of his desk two rows in front of him that he's writing and take his notes on. And William doesn't respond. Now Johnny's getting upset because his behaviors are not being reinforced with the laughter that was previously done, you know, prior to implementing a behavior modification program. So now Johnny starts to amp it up. He gets up in the front of the class and he wipes all the chalk off the chalkboard and the teacher doesn't blink an eye and the students don't say a word. Now Johnny's getting really angry. He's getting angry and this is a good barometer, the more frustrated he gets is the cross-check that the behavioral modification program is working. So nobody responds. So he goes back and sits in his chair, crosses his arms, huffing and puffing. It's like, I don't know what's wrong with these people, you know. So 
he he gets up and now he's doing something that he's never done before. He gets up, he stands at the front of the class, turns around, and he moons the class. And he turns around waiting for this big, you know, audience laughter, like everybody's gonna like bust out laughing. Everyone's stoic. Nobody says a word. Now he sits down, he he's now he's really upset. He's like, why bother? The problem is Jennifer in the first row giggles. And in Johnny's mind is, now I got him. Now the ceiling becomes the floor. It doesn't stop with taking the pencil out of Mary's hand. It stops with mooning the class. So when the with the behavioral modification programs, when parents are eliciting or, or again, uh, guardians, educators, they're, they're trying to implement these behavioral modification programs, it is crucial that there can be no deviation. There has to be a united front. There has to be consistency because the, the fundamental law of changing behavior is it will escalate to the point where you want to reach extinction. If my behavior no longer serves a purpose because it does not elicit the response that I am looking for, it serves no purpose. Therefore, I will disengage from that behavior because I'm not getting anything from it. It's like a comedian telling jokes in an audience where there's no people. What's the point of it? You're not getting anything back. So if you're looking for laughter as fuel to fuel your your self-esteem or your ego, but there's nobody in the audience... Why are you going to keep telling jokes? And this is one of the hardest parts to impart on parents, especially when you have more severe behavioral problems, because, you know, the phone and children and and adolescents, uh, I would say almost obsession and addiction to social media and texting, especially in a pandemic world where we're all disconnected from each other. That's a really viable tool to take away. But when you when you implement consequences, you got You want to do it. Say, okay, you can lose the phone for three days. First time you do it. If you do it again, you lose it for second time a week. Third time you lose it for two weeks. Fourth time you lose it for a month. Fifth time you lose it. Gradually and again, based on clinical experience, kids will start to get it. But you have to expect that once you change the rules of the responses of the environment. By the environment, I mean the individuals who are modifying their own behavior. If So what I, what I mean by that is, if your behavior is every time my child does this, I yell at them, that has to stop. So this is where it gets tricky because the work is not on part of the child. Yes, it is in the sense of they are learning by your individual responses. They are learning what choices am I going to make that give me the consequences that I don't like? And what are going to give me the cons- choices that I'm going to give me the consequences that are more beneficial and that I do like? And this is one of the hardest parts and where you really want to work. And it's really good for sometimes for parents to be in adjunct family therapy couples therapy so they can vent their own frustrations because this is really hard because you I, ideally you want to respond without affect or emotion hey if you want to do it take you know I'm driving down the street I know what the speed limit is if I want to drive 70 miles an hour down where the speed limit is 25 I have the right to do that but if I get pulled over I lose my right to complain if I drive the speed limit 
That's a choice I have to make, speed or not speed. One will lead, increase the likelihood of me receiving a consequence like a ticket that I don't want. Or if I choose to follow the speed limit, I am less likely to get in trouble. And that's a consequence that I would much prefer. So these, I mean, this is really, I think, in my professional opinion, uh, Ross Green has done a phenomenal job with this model, but it takes a lot of work and really should not be implemented until everybody is on board. Uh, parents, educators, teachers, um, adjunct family members. So, you know, the goal is to make sure that there's continuity of environmental responses for targeted behaviors across all dimensions of a child's environment. So that means mom and dad's house whether they're an intact family or a divorce or separated family in the educational system. So teachers are abiding by the same behavior modification program. Grandma and grandpa's house, uh, even friends' houses, because there has to be continuity of, of environmental responses to be, get to the point of extinction. Now, another fundamental law of behavioral psychology is at some point you will see an extinction burst that's to be predicted, which is a return to a previously targeted behavior that, again, the consequence will be implemented, the behavior typically will dissipate and be outside of the behavioral repertoire of a child or adolescent. Crucial information, uh, crucial uh, to identify these targeted behaviors as soon as possible. These are not medication-related problems. These are these are psychologically driven clinical practices. Uh, I mean, some people even want to just like put their kids on, you know, dope them up on a lot of Seroquel and knock them out. I mean, I'm sure there are people that do that. That's not treatment. That's just avoidance. So I would definitely direct you to. Uh, Look up Ross Green's work. Uh, the Explosive Child is his, you know, a, a phenomenal book. And this is something where you really need the help of a professional to develop and implement uh, a program like this. And also acknowledging the humanistic factors of being a parent, a step parent, a guardian, um, an educator of your own internal frustration like I just want to grab you by the throat but you can't do it you can't show emotion because you're putting the responsibility back onto the child adolescent saying you can do this and this is what will happen you can do this and this will happen this is also it so it has a strong educational component to it because it's putting the choices back so they can really kind of diffuse them saying well you did this no I didn't do this to you you were aware of if, if you chose this, this is what would happen. It kind of takes the steam and the gasoline out of their argument. So any questions, uh, as always, feel free to reach out to me at psychologyunpluggedoutlook.com uh, through Psychology Today. I, I really appreciate the comments and the feedback. This is a really important topic, and I think it's something that a lot of people are experiencing from talking with my colleagues because kids have been cooped up so long and parents are with their kids the majority of the day and they're seeing things that they probably weren't seeing before and hopefully the light at the end of the tunnel is coming for all of us around the world uh god willing uh in the meantime stay well be safe and i will be speaking with you guys next week take care bye-bye